0: welcome to the dje podcast where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples here's your host devin elder oh hello welcome to the show thanks for joining us today uh my guest is will matheson of matheson capital they're out of uh, south carolina him and his twin brother evan run that company and they're real estate operators. So um, started out in brokerage and we talk about that. I'll dive into that in a minute. Um, And then they started Matheson Capital and are doing multifamily and student housing deals in the Carolinas. And so we talk about their business structure, how that's set up, how they're using uh, property management in markets that maybe they're not actually living in, how they're raising capital and how they put that together. Uh, and then just to look into the into the overall growth of the business and how they've scaled up from being brokers to doing their first duplex deal, now to scaling up to a point where they've got over $100 million of, of assets. So Will's a sharp guy um, and was very open about kind of how they built the business. And then at the end of the podcast, he's got some good tips Um, they go back occasionally and speak at Columbia, their alma mater about real estate investing and being a real estate operator. So they, he kind of walked me through their, their don't do this (laughs) tips or things to avoid when starting a a company that I thought was really insightful. So enjoy the conversation with Will. I think you will too. If you enjoy the DJE podcast, a five-star review means the world to me. So thank you. If that's something that you can do for us, appreciate that. We're going to have a word from our sponsors and then get into the podcast with will matheson this episode is brought to you by dje texas management group a san antonio texas-based real estate investment firm with a track record of transacting on several hundred million dollars of multifamily land and industrial deals throughout texas dje's been in business for over a decade and is approaching 100 team members in san antonio To learn more about DJE, visit djetexas.com or the link in the show notes of this episode. This episode is also brought to you by apartmenteducators.com, a complete ecosystem for professionals to learn how to find, finance, and operate large multifamily properties for profit. You can get started with a free mini course and learn more at apartmenteducators.com or visit the link in the notes. Will, great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, so let's dive in, talk some shop on real estate. But first, for the audience here, maybe folks that haven't met you, a little bit of background. What what's your background? How'd you get into this uh, this real estate game? So
1: yeah, my so my name will Matheson. I run Matheson Capital with my twin brother Evan, and we really ended up here because. Out of college, we were working as brokers for Marcus and Millichap um, in the Carolinas. We were part of the top team there, and we realized brokerage is great. We wanted to get on the ownership side, so we left brokerage. We went to Columbia University's Master's in Real Estate Development program. Great program, highly recommend it. And uh, made a lot of connections. But it was when we were leaving that when we were leaving there, we asked ourselves, "What do we want to do? Do we want to?" Go, let's say, corporate route, try to do nine to five, or I I guess these days it's a lot more. Um, Do you want to go that route for 10, 15, 20 years so you can one day leave and start your own fund? Or we could go and we could start ourselves, buy a lot smaller, significantly smaller properties, uh, to say the least, and build up over time to the point where uh, maybe we can shave five, 10, 15 years off of that timeline. So that was that was how we ended up here. Um, we just said, "Look, let's do it. let's start our own company. Let's start small, and let's
0: build it up. I love it. yeah, I'll, I'm always cheering on entrepreneurs. It's a very unique, challenging um, endeavor, and so love it when people bet on themselves and make a go of it. So congrats on that. What was the what was the first project you guys did with this with this new new venture?
1: So we actually, the company was actually started all the way back in 2015 when I was still a broker. Our first ever venture was we had a client in a 1031 exchange and they had a million dollar equity shortfall because they split their exchange. And they needed, excuse me, they needed a million dollars. So we raised the money and put it as a first loan on a property they owned all cash, so our first venture was a hard money loan. Nice. But after after leaving and after leaving Columbia in 2018, actually our first venture we were still at Columbia. We graduated in May. We did our first venture in I want to say January 2018 with a classmate of ours from there, a guy named Mitch. He brought us this opportunity in Los Angeles. He said, "Hey guys." You know, I think the rents are below market. Great opportunity. So we worked with him. We bought it in January and a uh, two months later we sold it. So that was pretty nice.
0: Two months. Love it. What was your projected hold? Did you raise any capital or was it just your own capital?
1: We did. We did I mean it was only it's only a duplex. It was eight hundred thousand dollars. So LX. we didn't have to raise a ton of capital. We kind of structured it so It was an all cash purchase, but there was some cash that was preferred, so it was kind of like debt, admittedly, um, because we didn't want to go through the mortgage process. But yeah, the uh, I mean, we bought it for eight hundred. I think we sold it for nine eighty five. A little over two months later, so the IRR was great,
0: phenomenal IRR. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I think think we calculated it four hundred (laughs) and thirty (laughs) eight percent. Yes, that's going to skew your averages forever, right? Our firm's average IRRs, you know, 130%.
1: Well, I mean, that's why we use a weighted average when we talk about our returns. You know, we don't want to give it too much weight, but I'm also sure. pretty proud of it. So, Yeah, that's
0: definitely a high watermark, man. I love it. Was there any, you know, physical value creation or this is just purely kind of market forces working on your benefit there? So
1: essentially what happened was the the, le- the in-place leases were so far below market, Um. I mean, for some reason, we were able to go under contract and have the property delivered to us at the end of the contract with no tenants. And this weird thing about Los Angeles, I think as a result of their rent control is properties are sometimes worth more vacant than they are with you know, below market tenants. I hadn't thought about that. We sold it vacant.
0: Yeah. That's very interesting. Doesn't seem like a great place to be a landlord. Do you guys own other stuff out there? Was that kind of a one-off market? Um, I did,
1: uh, we did, we did that acquisition in January, 2018. We did another acquisition in May of 2018 and we sold that in November of 2019. And after that, we said, I'm never buying in California again. Um, they, I, I think I still get mail from the franchise tax board saying we owe them money. It's like, no, I haven't done anything here for four years. Please stop
0: they're going to try. Yeah, I that's my sense of it as well. We haven't done anything out there, but it sounds like, you know, great deal, great IRR and sounds like a good experience at least as a a one-off. Um well, I want to ask you about your time at the brokerage. Um I had a meeting earlier today. One of our investors came down from Chicago with his son. Shout out to Paul if you're listening. And, you know, his son is senior in high school and so I was kind of asking about wanting to get into real estate. And we were talking about the value of working in the industry first starting out. So how was that for you and your brother at Marcus and Millichap? And how did that experience impact what you guys are doing now as principals?
1: So I think brokerage is a great job to go into, especially especially if you are just coming out of college. Uh, I mean, a lot of firms, if you're working on commission, you're a reasonably easy hire. Um, and it teaches you one, as opposed to so many other industries, you know, as opposed to, I know a lot of people get into multifamily, you know, later than I did, obviously, but it could be their thirties, forties, fifties, but they're doing it as a side deal to their normal job. If you, if your primary job is brokerage, the experience, you have the opportunity to both get paid and also learn a skill that you can directly translate into running your own investments. And I mean, aside from that, anyone who wants to syndicate, raise money, you know, anyone who wants to do that, being told that nobody wants to talk to you 50 times a day is a really great life skill. We uh, we did some interviews. We made some hires earlier this year and one guy had door-to-door sales experience yeah. and I that just jumped out to me and I said, you should become a broker because if you can get a door slammed in your face, you can get a phone hung up on you. So brokerage, I'm a huge fan. It, it immerses you in real estate and it teaches you sales skills, makes you tough, makes you hungry.
0: I, I think more people should go into it. I love it. That, thanks for that perspective. Did you start as an analyst or did you jump right into brokerage? So
1: uh, when I started, we, I mean, I started out just, you know, doing basic databasing because very rarely, you know, when you join a guy's team, very rarely are they saying, go and make phone calls. They want you to do some training. They want you to get a little bit of market knowledge. Yeah. So databasing, seeing what things sold for, things along those lines, uh, you typically start out there, but. So I want to say I did that for a few months, but within a month on the phones, I got my first listing. Love it.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's and was this a hundred percent commission?
1: Uh no, I was actually. So I was. This is all the way back in 2015. I was getting paid minimum wage, time and a half. Back then, my wife and I were debating: should we try the commission? Should we try the minimum wage? We said, let's let's get them baseline of security which was not a good choice in hindsight. Because um, your split went but, down? Oh, yeah. I didn't have a split at first. I was just pure minimum wage. So when oh, wow. we, closed, yeah, it was, look, I learned a lot. I would do it again. But yeah, I think within six months, it was one month on the phones. We picked up my first listing. There was a six-figure commission when we sold that. And I was uh, I was not entitled to any of that because I was just getting paid minimum wage. Yep. But that, that, taught, that teaches you a lot about how to work hard. I mean, sure. when you work 80 hours a week and get paid $2,000 a month back
0: then, that was, it motivated you? 100%. 100%. There's something to be said for that. You know, I had a lot of animosity towards my corporate environment. And it was fuel, you know? I mean, I think these, these positive things we want to achieve are motivating. And these big goals and whatever, maybe physical stuff or toys. But... I found the kind of loathing and hatred of certain things that have happened to me to be far more motivating. So it's there's power in those things. I mean, I, I don't
1: know that I would go that far. I mean, I, Marcus and Millachap, it, it is it is not the easiest place to work. It's a ton of competition. Um, we were doing retail. We were not doing multifamily retail mm. brokerage at Marcus and Millachap you're not only competing with CBRE and JLL but because it's net least you're competing with guys from California guys from New York like everybody at Marcus can call anywhere so it's very wow. it's very high levels of competition but again I mean it's I mean it's baptism by fire and the skills you learn doing that I know I know a lot of people who started out at Marcus and they've had Going on to have really great careers in brokerage at Marcus, at other firms. I I cannot emphasize enough how good of a life skill, how great of a life skill I think brokerage is and the training it gives you. Yep.
0: That's awesome feedback. I appreciate that. And I kind of say the same thing to folks is go try to get that experience. Um, Okay, perfect. Kind of a little detour on that, but I appreciate that. And I appreciate you walking through kind of that first deal. After you guys got that Los Angeles deal done, were you intentionally setting out to build a certain type of portfolio, or did you just take it deal by deal? because um, let's kind of catch everybody up. Where are you guys at right now as a firm in terms of, you know assets you're managing or whatever whatever metric you like? So right now we have been
1: involved in, I want to say the number is 13 acquisitions. So we did our first acquisition start of 2018. So we've done 13 acquisitions since there. Uh, Two of those we are not the lead sponsor on. We had an opportunity to partner with a much larger group by adding some value to them. So 11 deals lead sponsor, 13 total acquisitions, portfolio value probably around just north of 100 million, probably 130 million of total transactions. To answer your question about, you know, when we started out, what were we focused on in terms of building a portfolio? In a certain way, we were not focused on building a portfolio at all. Mm-hmm. We went out there and said, you know, our first acquisition, we're 25. No one's going to marry you for 10 years on an investment at that point. Or if they do, more power to you. So we said, to, our, to the people we approached as investors, the projects we took on. Hey, look, let's. we're going to go in this. We're going to do heavy value add, except for that first Los Angeles deal, which was just two months. But we're going to do heavy value add and we're going to be in and out in less than a year or two. Mm-hmm. We'll get you a nice big IRR. We'll prove that we know what we're doing so that the next time it comes around, you can recommend us to other people. You can just Try out what we do. We're not, it's not a 10 year commitment. It'll be in and out. So, our first acquisitions I mean, the longest I've held a property to date, with the exception of one, was about two years, three months. We have one that we bought January 2019 that we still own. Long story great property, just spits off cash flow and the investor loves it. So, we hold on to that one. But by and large we just wanted to go buy sell buy sell buy sell build out the track record build out the IRRs deliver for the investors and prove that you know they they could trust us because we didn't have the gray star background of 10 years at gray star or anything like that
0: Yeah I like that idea of of getting some full cycle deals up on the board it's um it's kind of the ultimate mark of a sponsor and you, I, in my opinion you know if you're starting out you kind of want to get those quick so that you can point to it because these pro formas, I mean, you know, an investor tell me I've never seen a bad OM, right. Never seen a bad offering memorandum. It's all up and to the right and everything's great, but um, nothing like a full cycle deal that nobody could take away from you. Here's my, here's my numbers. Here's what we did. And I think that's smart to get some of those wins up on the board quicker. What kind, so what kind of assets are you guys, and markets are you guys targeting right now or, or in the past year or whatever, you know? recent deals? So we're
1: out of California. All of our portfolio right now is in North Carolina. Um, We're based in South Carolina. We're looking in South Carolina. It's just that we've sold all of our South Carolina properties because of that buy-sell mentality. Mm -hmm. But we're a group that focuses, we're primarily return driven within the multifamily and student housing space. So while we cut our teeth doing value add opportunities, you know, and that those short term holds, like sixties, seventies, eighties built properties, we've done a lot of newer Class A properties recently. Our last five acquisitions were built; they were four of those were Class A, but the other one was also a basis of seventy three thousand dollars a door in Greenville, North Carolina, and that's Sounds a good. that's a value add deal. So yeah, yeah thank you. I was quite. At least with it too so we'll wow. we'll do we'll still do value add we'll buy stabilized. it's what do we think is going to work out best because admittedly, my feel is that a lot of value add properties have kind of been played out. They've had four owners in the last seven years you're there's been four owners there's been four value add initiatives. you're not there's nothing else to be added. It's an incredibly rent burden segment of the population whereas class A properties are the least rent burden tenants. Mm-hmm. So that's we've been focusing a lot there recently.
0: Yeah, it's you know you can only see so many offering memorandums where the value add is backsplash stainless. You're like, well, that feels like the very last inch of value add and we don't know if that tenant base is gonna support any more rent increases. So <clears throat> the you know, multifamily we' we do a lot of that too, very management intensive. You guys are in markets that are not necessarily your backyard. How are you approaching your property management on these assets?
1: So it depends on the properties. We've worked with a variety of different property managers for our student housing assets. All of those are in Boone, North Carolina. Um, we really like working with a group called Boone High Country Rentals. Uh, I think they're great. Thank you, Bill and Todd. Um, for other assets in Charlotte, what we've been building out lately is a partnership with actually a classmate of ours from Columbia, um, Stentino Management. The uh, classmate of ours founded that company. We partner with them on a lot of acquisitions. So we are de facto owner managing through that partnership. Um, they just deliver outstanding results on the management. They deliver outstanding renovations on the properties. So we're really working on building that end of things out, but it is it is a deal by deal basis. You know, if I if I were to buy forty units in Charleston tomorrow, we probably wouldn't be in much of a position to owner manage that just because of the scale. And maybe we could, maybe we couldn't. But if I bought two hundred units, we could maybe take a look at owner managing it because you'd be able to staff the property. So it's always a deal by deal basis.
0: Yeah, it gives you a lot of flexibility. You don't have the burden. I mean, it's, um, we started our own management company uh, more out of kind of necessity and a painful situation we were in a number of years ago and it's great, but it's, it's a completely, you know, it's a wholly owned business that is its own, um, machine that you have to, to keep up with. What is the, what is an ideal, um, profile of an asset that you guys look for right now? Is it, Pretty narrow, or are you guys kind of taking it deals as they come and just treating them as as one-offs, or you have a pretty strict criteria on what you're looking to buy these days.
1: We have a pretty wide we have a pretty wide lens. I mean, like I said earlier, I think value add has played out, but if you mm-hmm. show me a property that was built in seventies, eighties, nineties that still has ninety percent original interiors, I'm absolutely interested. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're actually under contract on a property right now that is. Ninety-six slash two thousand six construction, ninety percent original interiors, with three point three percent in place assumption debt. Oh. Um, yeah, I know the cash flow is incredible. So that property, you know, we like that. There's value add upside in that, but at the same time, we're also looking at a lot of newer stuff that is more. Can you get the debt right? Can you hold it and refinance it in a few years assuming rates go down? But is it fine if you don't do anything and just kind of grow with grow with time? So we I mean again, we're we're returns driven. If we can find a deal that's 2020 construction that works, we'll we'll buy it. If we find a deal that's 1980s construction that works, we'll take a look at it. I we're not price per unit sensitive. We've bought stuff as cheaply as 73 a door and we've paid almost uh we paid 380 a door for a class a townhome community previously so we are you know we'll do class a we'll do class c we'll do low price we'll do high price
0: yeah that's that is a very wide lens the class a stuff you know it's 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 uh all pros and cons here but for your you're bringing on outside capital, right? Are you guys, are you guys bringing in a couple of big investors? Are you bringing in a a bigger pool of small check writers or how are you approaching your, your capital stack or your equity?
1: Man, I'm starting to feel like I answer every question in uh, every single way. So we got our start in syndication, um, like so many people. Sure. Uh, But we've worked with high net worth, or we've worked with high net worth individuals, accredited investors. We've worked with a few family offices. And this past October, we completed our first joint venture with a private equity firm. We work with uh, one group out of uh, one, I call them a Wall Street group. We work with one group up in New York on a fairly consistent basis as well. So we've we've run the gamut on that as well. Um, The deal we're currently under contract on, we are syndicating. But if, you know, if a 2020 construction property came up, we'd probably try to do a joint venture.
0: So I appreciate that uh, detail. And I, kind of where I was going with that is on the class A stuff is, it, is your return profile or your expectations from these limited partners such that, hey, we don't really need as much cash flow, or we don't need to see a pref paid out on the on the newer stuff. And it's just kind of a preservation of capital play or how are you guys, um, you know, how are you guys kind of meeting investor expectations on the, on the newer stuff?
1: So it's still going to be IRR driven. When you get into the private equity firms, they're not going to be as cash flow constrained, at least in my experience, they're not Mm going to be as focused on what's my, am I getting my 7% annually per year? Because I mean, a lot of times in joint ventures, they're gonna have control over when distributions are made. So accordingly, yeah. it's not it's not the highest priority. Maybe they want them, maybe they don't. It, it just it depends on the asset. I mean, maybe they're they might be more long term. Sometimes they'll look for cash flow, but generally speaking, it's just they like the areas, they like the markets, they like the demographics. Sure. There's not it's not as cash flow dependent as say syndication. I would say. Not yeah. to say you can't syndicate a I mean, we've syndicated heavy value ad that does not cash flow. You know. It's just a little when you're dealing with newer construction, your returns you get pressed pressed down a little. There's still a preferred return. You know, they still you and if you want a bonus, you have to hit a minimum, but it's just not as cash flow focused.
0: Which is nice. I mean, it's like we'd all like to buy the biggest, cleanest, newest asset we can. And it's if you've got an investor base that allows you to do that, right? How do you find the management from, um, obviously you're talking about completely different demographics here between some of the older vintage stuff you've done versus the class A. Did the class A tenant base give you a set of challenges that your class C tenants don't? Or is it just easier across the board to manage those newer assets?
1: I mean, in some senses, the, the expectations are higher. You know, you need to maintain a certain level of service, but I mean, by and large... It's easier. I mean, we've seen some stuff on our on our class C assets okay. that I don't I'm not terribly interested in seeing again. I haven't had that problem in a class A property. Not to say I couldn't, but it's you know, there's certain there's certain standards you need to uphold that you normally wouldn't for a class C property, but I, yes, I would say by and large it's easier. Certainly yeah. less of a headache.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Especially
1: during yeah. COVID.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. We've seen some stuff on some of our deals. Uh, absolutely mind boggling. Some of the <laughs> things we've seen. <laughs> so how do you and your brother work together? Is it clearly defined roles and what do you, what do you like to do? You know, you people talk about their superpower or whatever it is. They, this person likes raising capital or this person really likes the numbers. This person's the, the rehab guy. How do you guys um, work together and what does the rest of the firm look like around you? Um as far as team members, either on payroll or external, or give us a, a, a sense of, of how that's structured.
1: All right, a lot of ground to cover there. So starting yeah. with um, starting with my brother, Evan, he he is 100% the numbers guy. Every company he's ever worked with before us, he rewrote uh, he or he re-engineered the financial models to streamline and improve them. Um, back when we were at Columbia, he his test was the answer key for financial modeling. So his financial modeling is very on point. I deal with a lot of the legal stuff, documents, dealing with brokers, things like that. And I mean, to put it bluntly, we always um, we we would always compete on equity raising. Cool. Um, that was a competition. We were keeping track who raised what from who you know, for the first few deals, I was beating him. And then on one property, he smoked me to like, by like a million dollars, he outraised me. And I heard about that for quite a while. I heard about that for probably nine months until our next closing. We don't so much, we don't so much do that anymore as we've gotten a little more um, established, but it was great to great to fuel the competitive fire. As I mentioned Earlier, we do have, um, we have our partners over at Stintino. Uh, his name is Fabio. So Fabio handles a lot of the renovations. He does a great job overseeing asset management. Obviously, we look over what he's doing, check in on all of that. But he, he is an operations savant through and through renovations, just best in the business. Can't say enough nice things about him. So he handles a lot of that and we we recently made um we recently made a couple of hires brought them in uh primarily to help us just with acquisitions but they also come with experience some industrial some in multifamily so that's helping us refine our asset management techniques and just more than anything giving us more bandwidth i have this i have this whole theory that there are three bottlenecks in this business there is How much capital can you raise? How many deals can you see? And how many deals can you analyze? Mm -hmm. And when we were getting started, our bottleneck was always, how much capital can you raise? Mm -hmm. Um, So we could see as, you know, when when you know you can only raise so much money, you're not looking at anything more than $5 million, $10 million, it shrinks the pool. As you grow, as you get more comfortable, as you look at more markets, you just, you're you can look at more properties. And it got to the point where analysis was our bottleneck. We couldn't look at all the deals that were being sent in. So we said, we got to make these hires. And we we hired two great people, couldn't be more thrilled.
0: Excellent. So are they fully analyst uh in the analyst role? Are they doing multiple things for the company? How did you structure that?
1: We always tell people when we did these interviews, you're gonna touch everything at the company. I mean, it's still a four-person company. Not counting Fabio, it's me, my brother, and the two new hires. You're going to touch everything. You're going to see everything. You're primarily going to help with the analysis on the front end, but we're going to teach you how to raise capital. We're going to teach you marketing. We'll teach you the legal, how everything is structured. Cool. And I mean, in a lot of ways, that was a big selling point when we were doing the interviews because we're not just going to silo you off into a closet and you're going to analyze properties. Twenty four seven, you're going to see everything. You'll see the marketing. You'll get to build your own relationships with investors. All of that stuff. I mean, really, you know. I hope they don't. But if they wanted to leave and start their own firm after a few years, they'd have every tool in the toolbox.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really cool, and yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's uh, it's a lot to to do it all. You know, to to go run. I always encourage people to start your own shop if that's it's in your heart. But it takes a takes a lot to do that it takes money and, and uh, a lot of other things, but certainly encourage that to the folks that want to want to go out and do that. Um, what, now that you guys have have gone through this cycle, you've left the corporate job, you've built the business, you've got up to the hundred million dollar plus Mark on, on assets. Um, looking back what is your advice to to somebody just getting started or maybe to yourself now with the benefit of hindsight on uh, on being in this business uh,
1: so we um we've been fortunate enough to go back to our alma mater a few times and just give a lecture to the class there cool. about what to do when you're starting a company and i have I have five we have a whole slide dedicated to what not to do yeah um which is the best advice, I think. Um, yeah. Specifically, do not do these five things. I'm going to try to remember them. One of them was just start small. Um, don't don't focus on big properties. The smallest ones have the less the least competition. They require the least equity to raise, and there's seemingly. You can get in and out you can add value it's the least efficient part of the market so start outs, and also it gets you it gets you in the market don't mm-hmm. don't be the guy who goes in there and says i'm gonna start buying all the 20 million dollar properties and insert a city here because every broker at cushman at marcus at cbre they already know everybody who owns a 20 million dollar property so the only way you're getting it is if you massively overpay and quite frankly it's easier to raise million dollars and it is five million. So start with a manageable goal there. Uh don't invest or not don't put all your eggs in one basket. You want to limit how much of your own equity you're putting into these things because you're here to build a portfolio. You're not here to lock yourself into one property. On the note of locking yourself into properties, do not don't go for the long term debt, especially when you're starting out, like we said, you want to be in and out buy sell buy sell. So Don't get any yield maintenance debt. You want to be able to move in and out quickly. Our toughest deal had yield maintenance debt. Um, The prepay to get out of that was pretty intense. Was that
0: inherited? Uh, That's debt you guys put on it?
1: No, it was debt we put on it. Uh, Another reason I say don't do the long-term debt is one, it locks you in. But I mean, also you've got to believe that, you know, a $3 million property in your second year, you're going to outgrow that by your fourth year, you don't want to be still dealing with that. You want to be buying $10 million properties. And also, you know, every investor loves a nice 40% IRR, you know? I mean, don't get me wrong. Your 2% coupon every quarter is nice, but like 40%, who's going to complain? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm trying to, I think I might've, I think I might've covered one of those in already the the, the final point that I can think of off the top of my head was, don't do ground up development. I know some people start out doing it, but it's so much easier to buy something that already exists. Significantly less risky. Yeah, don't don't start out with ground off development. If you do, more power to you. But that's that's a bold approach.
0: That's the deep end of the pool, right?
1: Yeah, I mean that's just yeah. Not that's not dipping a toe in. That's that's diving head first.
0: Yeah. Those are really good points. I, I, I appreciate that. And that's neat that you guys went back to, to Columbia and we were able to speak on that. Um, well, I love it. Well, well, thanks very much for sharing your story. And I think the listeners or aspiring investors out there are going to get a lot of inspiration from that. If somebody listening wants to connect with you, how can they do that?
1: So I always encourage people to uh, reach out to me through LinkedIn. Pretty easy to find Will Matheson at Matheson Capital. They can also reach out through our website, uh, mathcap.com, M-A-T-H-C-A-P.com.
0: Outstanding. We'll link to that in the show notes. You guys listening can just go into the show notes there, scroll down and click through and check out Will's company. So I encourage you to do that. Um, Thanks very much. Appreciate it, man. It was great talking shop and... 2023 has been an interesting year, but I wish you guys uh, success in your in your future ventures. Uh,
1: you as well. Thank you for having me.
0: Awesome. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the DJE Podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.